Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Yeah, Let's yeah. get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Well, before we begin, we have a special guest joining us for this episode, Roger Galo, founder of the Galo Shot Making Method, which has been featured on ESPN Radio, CBS Sports, and Bleacher Report. Roger, thank you for joining us, and how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. I hope you guys are as well. Yeah, we're all always doing well over here. And Kenneth, before I forget, how are you doing, man? Can't complain, man. Lovely. Always here to be able to talk ball, especially Miami Heat ball. Let's get it going. Yeah. So before we dive into the more recent games, we have to cover a painful loss that came at the hands of the Philadelphia 76ers. Saturday, January 15th, 109-98, the Heat fell to the Philadelphia 76ers in a game that saw Joel Embiid have a really quiet first half. And that personally had me really pleased. But then came the second half, and he's Joel Embiid. You can't keep him down for long. So long story short, Jimmy Butler struggled with his shot all day long, all, all night long. And Omer, you're seven letters in scoring. Matter of fact, that's how the scoring went for the Heat in that department. Roger, you got any comments? And Kenneth as well, you got any comments in the game before we do a bit more of a deep dive? Well, I, I, uh, I've recognized that uh, Jimmy's been, been uh, struggling with that shot of his of late, it seems, of, from the three-ball area. So um, that's obviously not a good thing for anybody to have to deal with. And it can have an impact when you're that type of player contributing that much. Um, and they needed him. They needed him to, to not have that kind of a night if they were expecting to come out of there with a win. Kenneth, you got anything else? Yeah, I would say that just from an all-around perspective, man, it wasn't just a deep shot, which he somewhat struggled with since arriving in Miami. Um, not just the ability to hit it, but, I mean, he's rarely taking it, although he's taking it with more frequency this year as opposed to his other couple of years at Miami. But, yeah, man, um, just, you know, as opposed to, you know, what Roger said, well, not as opposed, but in accordance with what Roger said, I mean, he just struggled to get shots to fall all night. Um, and when you have Joel Embiid on the other side of the court going nuts as he was um, late in the game, you have to be able to make shots to counter that. And there's this effect to it that actually, you know, sticks with me from that game. And it's basically the Miami Heat have never had a poor shooting game as a team. They never had as many guys as they had shoot as poor as they have ever in one single game. Um, and especially when that player just so happens to be your best player, that's going to hurt you. Yeah, nine. Of 35 from deep overall as a team for the Heat, that's that'll kill you most nights. It's, it's fascinating to me that that kind of dynamic can happen in some ways, but it's less mysterious or less of a mystery, gentlemen, as a result of this decade-long journey where I've discovered some things that he's trying to deal with that make it very difficult to control uh, under game situational intensity, if you will. 
and uh, so I, I I feel for him. <laughs> Be more specific, there, if you don't mind me asking. It, it's um, the the movements that Jimmy has, and and many players, and and I am included in that. And I was third in the country as a college ball player and NBA prospect with the traditional shooting system, which was much more similar to the style Jimmy has currently. It's been around five or six decades. But with that being said, Ken, what Kenneth, what I mean is he's got because of his athleticism, that athleticism, that the explosiveness ability that he has, uh, that can actually be detrimental when you combine it with some of the extraneous motions or movements that we've all bought into as being part of the shooting technique. Oh, no, I, to I totally get it now. Exactly. Um, I hadn't thought about it that well-rounded or that theoretically, but no, it makes perfect sense. The rhythm from shooting a jump shot sometimes peaks out where your athleticism wants you to keep going. Exactly. Yes. And yet that's a lot of com combining and blending of movements that have to be almost perfectly synchronized to be working. And uh, believe it or not, the less, the, less, the, the less motion or movement there is, or the less frenetic that motion or movement is, the more stable one is likely to become. And that's a hard, that's a hard concept for players of that level to grasp. Absolutely. I agree. Three things to that. That's why Steph Curry is so phenomenal. That's why Michael Jordan and his ability to knock down that mid range is just so astonishing, even to this day. And that's also why a lot of your good three and D wing shooters are set shooters. I look at Wes Matthews. I look at a guy who's improving in Dallas with his shooting and Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, a lot of those guys are set shots. Um, and as you mentioned, less movement. So that makes total sense. I would add Maybe Mikael Bridges from the Phoenix Suns to that list. Very good ad. Yeah, a phenomenal player. Would love to have him on my team, by the way. But I, I think all 30 teams would, honestly. So, yes, let's dive a bit into the game as well. Something I noticed in the fourth quarter, there was a lot of Joel Embiid on Jimmy Butler, even in the perimeter, which essentially negated Jimmy's attempts at the rim. He... And with the rest of the team struggling to score, particularly from deep, you know, this has been their calling card on offense throughout the the absences of the the many absences that the Miami Heat have suffered, which has been the three-point shooting. And that night, it wasn't there. And with Jimmy Butler, you know, mostly known down here in Miami when he arrived here, for his ability to drive the ball, draw fouls, neither of that was getting, was going that, that game, you know, it was a big struggle for them. And... I might add, they led for they were ahead for a lot of the game. They were ahead big at one point. I forgot the depth, I forgot the lead they had, but it was a double digit lead. But the offensive struggles were just too much, and they fell ultimately. Yeah, man. Up by his, oh, go ahead, Roger. Say, I'm sorry. Uh, they they are an efficient team. I'm big into efficiencies, especially on the offensive side. And they are, the Miami Heat is, is, is an unbelievably efficient team, generally speaking. I think that, what are they, second in the league in three-point shooting percentage? Um, I, I, I believe okay. it. I think, well, I think they are, but they're they're definitely in the top five. I'll look it up. P.J. Tucker is currently leading the league in three-point shooting still, I might add, because we mentioned that in the previous podcast. 
thought maybe might fall off with note. He's still up there in three-point percentage, which is outstanding. By the way, Roger, what do you... I mean, this is this wasn't in the outline, but, you know, since you're so knowledgeable, I, this just came into my mind. What's the biggest difference you see between this year's P.J. Tucker and last year's P.J. Tucker? Because not, P.J. Tucker notoriously struggled mightily with a shot last season. And this season, he's leading the league in three-point percentage. What are some of the key differences you have noticed between his time in Houston and Milwaukee last season versus his time in Miami so well, far? Can I ask you uh, this question? Has has he changed the the shot he's taking? Have you noticed the type of shot that he's taking? Has that changed from last year? I would say he's taking more more floaters. He's still taking his corner threes. That's what he's that's what he's known for. That he'll always take them. However, I have noticed that he's that he is a he has been shooting a bit more from other three point areas, not exclusively from the corners. He's not hesitating to shoot them. But yeah, he's mostly looking for his three pointer in the corners. I was gonna mention PJ Tucker um earlier when I had let Roger go. Is is to your notion of less motion. P.J. Tucker's actually the anomaly there because he still shoots the classic jump shot. But also, to your point, every time P.J. shoots the jump shot, it looks the exact same. So you're talking about that rhythm and that repetitive that repetitive motion, which even if it doesn't lend itself to less motion, it's less unuseful motion, which also lends itself to being a good shooter. Uh, that's a good point. And, and what, what I find in that type of a shooter is sometimes they benefit by, and it's it's almost um, not even noticeable to the naked eye, but their speed of movement when they're when they're that <clears throat> excuse me that athletic when they are they take that shot if the tempo is adjusted or misfiring just a little bit that will be detrimental to their accuracy or their consistency which are connected, of course. Um, the floater thing is interesting to me because it happens it, when you watch his floater, and this is common with a lot of players, uh, they use a different finish release on a floater than they do generally on their shot attempts, their jump shot attempts. I find that's that's been one of the discoveries also that came about through this journey and it's, it's um it begs the question does that that kind of a release could that be a better releasing mechanism than the release that we've come to accept traditionally um and and, and by the way floaters depending on where they're taken from the court the probability of making a floater might be greater in some areas of the court than the probability of making a like attempted jump shot. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but isn't that, if that's true, isn't that kind of interesting and why? Very interesting. I did not, I did not think about it that way. Wow. Well, to that notion as well. Um, and I'm sorry. I, 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 no, go I ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Corner, the corner three. Um, I think, and, and I'm going to be, I hope this doesn't come across as though I have all the answers, because I certainly don't. I'm not done with the journey, I'm sure. But uh, I've come to the conclusion that the reason 
one of the biggest reasons the corner three is so coveted is obviously that the analytics tell you it's the highest percentage shot in the game. So that's a pretty strong motivator, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Is it because of the most common natural response? Well, it's the shortest three. And I would argue that that's not really it. All that movement and mobility and athleticism, does a lot of that happen from a corner three attempt? They, you can't move back. You can't you, you can't move to the right if you're in the right corner. You're out of bounds. You can't step further back because you're out of bounds. <laughs> you, you can't step forward because you're inside the three-point line. So that that limited, that restrictiveness is a reduction of mobility and movement, isn't it? Absolutely. And that predisposes somebody's probability of making that attempt. That's what I so, would argue so very vehemently. Three things before we get too far here, because I want to touch on those. You mentioned why has PJ get, why has PJ found himself having one of his better years, JJ? I would say that we didn't relegate him to being just a three-point shooter. Coming in, you could see it from the very onset, from the very first preseason game where he got action, um, that spoke wanted him to be everything that he could be, everything that he thought he had in the tank. Spo wanted him to empty that tank, whereas other teams have simply relegated him to being a three, a, a corner three and D guy. But the Miami Heat wanted him to be his best complete ball player. Secondly, towards the notion of that float game in the different platform, I hadn't thought about it that much, but you make a good point. Even though they both tend to come off of the shoulder more so than the per, more so than the traditional gooseneck there is a different touch point. Like, whereas the touch point is off the fingertips on the jump shot, the touch point is the palm or the pad of the hand for him in the floater. So I do see the point you're making. Towards your notion with the three-point shooting as well, though, um, you said a key word for me, restriction. Um, and even though the movement and everything you mentioned, it makes you think about it, and you're absolutely correct, I would add spatial definition from that corner is also the best thing because you cut off a total side of the court. If you're taking a three from anywhere else on the court, your spatial recognition and your depth perception has to include about three or four measurements forward, behind you, and to either side. Whereas if you're in that corner, like you said, you've cut off most other spatial recognition or depth perception issues besides one or two. So again, those restrictions you mentioned are a key thing when it comes to that corner three. Brilliantly stated. That is, I mean, and I mean that, that is uh, a very astute observation of that, of that dy those dynamics at work. Um, and, and that depth perception is, is, is a very real thing, a problem, a challenge, if you will, um, for a lot of players. But by the way, most players are right-handed shooters, are they not? In, in, in yeah. probably all of basketball or sports. I was about to say, absolutely. And even some of your left-handed everything else guys are still right-handed dominant shooters. You make a good point. Yes. And, and there's a right-eye dominance, a left-eye dominance. And I would, I would, uh, and, and maybe this will be something I, I can approach. B, I've worked with BYU uh, in a couple of projects, statistical analysis of sorts with regards to shooting in basketball. And maybe this was is one I'd like to entertain doing in the future. Uh, is the right corner, the optimal corner 
for a right-handed shooter or should the left corner be the optimal corner for a right-handed shooter and conversely the other way around catching it in your pocket cutting off a second and delay allowing you to make all of those reads faster that and the edge of the bank board being more of an ah okay totally a real threat (laughs) being like a cue a marker for you yes By the way, I, I haven't spoken a lot because I'm just I'm just learning from you two guys because, you know, Kenneth jokes that I'm really young, but yes, I'm really young and I'm just learning from you two great basketball. But you're good, though, By the way, Roger, you're good. You're good. You're young. You're young. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. Oh no, you're young. But I'm joking. I'm joking, man. <laughs> By the way, Roger, to answer your, I was yep. just gonna say I I remind myself constantly that God gave me two ears for a reason and one mouth. And one mouth. There you go. So uh, kudos to you for being mature enough to, to to utilize that to your advantage. Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah, thank you so much for, for that compliment. Hopefully it leads to big things in the future. By the way, Roger, to answer your question about the team leaders in three-point percentage, the Miami Heat currently stand at second at 37.5%. The Bulls lead the league in three-point percentage at 38.6%. But there's a caveat to that. The Heat have made exactly 101 more three-pointers than, than the Bulls, and they have attempted around 300 I was more just about to them. say the volume, though, the volume, right? Because you got the mid-range killer in Chicago who's dramatically bringing that down. Um, I would argue that after Zach Levine, Vooch is probably the guy that takes the most contested threes on that team. Yeah, good. I'd be hard-pressed to argue against that. Yeah. Well, okay. So to end, I'm sorry. The math is an important part of that equation. Um, you, you know, when you're talking about generating 50% more production in each one of those threes that are made, that that uh, that's not going to hurt you too much. <laughs> so I would stand to reason that the Miami Heat could be considered the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. I mean, they are. They. I love that if that level of efficiency that they have, and. Uh, uh, I, I actually, uh, as an aside, I actually uh, believe that in the next five to seven, maybe seven or eight years, we're going to find or begin to start expecting the three-point shot to be much higher as the percentage than the field goal percentage that we've come to expect to be you know, the highest and then the three-point percentage. And, of course, always the foul shot remaining the highest shooting percentage of any player that that's playing the game. But I think that three-point shot will overtake that position as being the next highest percentage expected in the stat line. Um, it's a pretty uncontested shot. It, for, for I mean, in, in most – how many coaches are – especially at the level we're talking about, guys – how many coaches are going to allow um, to uh, uh, any player take take too many con- truly contested three point shot attempts when you've got all that spacing? You've got one defender that you're you're being guarded by. The next help defender, twenty eight feet out there, is twenty feet to your left, twenty feet south of you, uh, twenty feet to your right, maybe further. 
and so there's one defender standing in the way of you launching a pretty uncontested shot from that distance. And why sh shouldn't it be a little bit easier to make that than maybe a mid-range or a in-the-paint attempt? Because there's less. Yeah, and I, I was going to say this brought this brought me back to last year's playoffs. Well, not last year's, but last season's playoffs, in which the the Clippers faced the Utah Jazz, and there was a common, you know, that brings the question: Oh, the common criticism for Rudy Gobert? Oh, he can, he can, he gets up, he gets played off the court in the playoffs. So no, it was the Clippers. They were the worst possible matchup. They went five out, and as you said, like maybe they're not like the highest three point percentage team, but they were the ability to go five out. That's we'll see more and more teams adopting that philosophy and rim protectors like Ruby Gobert will have to adjust their games, either be more, more able to guard in the perimeter or Utah's perimeter players being, being much more efficient on defense in the perimeter because they're, uh, they're not, they're a sieve and on defense in the, on the perimeter down over there in Utah. Interesting because isn't that what you, you were alluding to when you talked about Embiid going going out there to guard Jimmy Butler. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's that's the adjustment and and they are going to that's what's going to be required of the future big men. Um <laughs> I mean it's maybe required already, just not to the like Absolutely. Going to when you're looking at your better, that's why I'm so excited for the future of Bama and Bio. Your because better teams, they do have bigs that can already do that. Yes, yes, absolutely. I was gonna say, like before, uh, after this, we we move on from this game. Until, unless you guys have other thoughts on the game, but that's why I'm so excited about the future. What the future holds for Bama and Bio, especially on defense, because he's a guy that has proven to be able to stay on the perimeter with the best of them. I mean. Last season in the game against the Nets, he, Kyrie Irving could not shake him, but he can also protect the rim. Not to the extent that Rudy Gobert can. Rudy Gobert could be considered an all-time great rim protector, but he's still effective enough that you won't be at a disadvantage if a team goes five out or if they have a couple non-shooters on the floor but are good drivers of the basketball. A couple of different things before we get too far away, though. Um, you mentioned... Bam out of Bayou and rim protection. I think that's the thing we got to get away from. Bam isn't a rim protector. He's the best all-around defender as a five guy. Even if you look at him as a four, you you play him at the five to maximize his versatility, his skill set, and his strength because there'll be guys that may be big enough that aren't quick enough. There'll be guys that are quick enough that aren't strong enough. And any guy that has those combination of two things aren't as athletic or as skilled as he is. Um, and then this is bouncing around a little bit, but just hitting on these things before we move on too far. Um, as you and Roger were mentioning, the three-point shot going up as far as percentage, um, for me, the future is always the present. And if you look at the three-point attempts this year in 21-22, the league average is 35.4. Well, just six years ago in 2015-2016, it was only 24.1. And 10 years ago in 2012-2013, it was only at 20. So we've almost went up by 23-point attempts per team, per contest, league average. 15.4 to be precise this season in accordance with the 2012-2013 season. So you can only assume that it's going up. Lastly, you mentioned something early about having time um, 
and, and where the shooter should post up. There's something that you'll notice about Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker, um, and it kind of speaks towards that whole athleticism, that whole shooting motion, stability, um, getting everything sort of calculated in a split second. Both of those guys, now mind you, P.J. Tucker hits at a much greater rate than Jimmy, so maybe Jimmy could take some cues, but they both take that half a second to look down and kind of gather themselves before they take a three-point shot. Every time, never fails. That and that can that, that at that level they're playing. That's not to be ignored. That is not to be ignored. And a good defender will obviously do whatever he can to get them off that spot. To get them off their spot. And uh, to give you an idea of my offensive mindset, that bothers me tremendously. Because I actually strongly believe that when you've got that ball, you should be dictating, period. (laughs) You should be dictating what you're about to do to that primary defender or what it is you're going to do to put him at such a disadvantage and maybe the others watching you because you have that ball, the other defenders that, so that you can create an important play, uh, uh, the right move or hit the right guy at the right time in the right place to conclude a a play that you just created by virtue of having that ball. Um, And that's, that's look, even as offensively, um, minded as I was as a player, I didn't fully understand the power that ball really gives you (laughs) and the effect it has on everybody else. Absolutely. Primary defender. But all those other eyes are on you because you do have that ball. I was glad you brought that up. I mean, you're just... You're the center of attention when you have the ball. Like everybody's. Well, that's why a ball fake. Not everybody. A ball fake is so strong. A ball fake can shift the whole zone to the complete opposite side of the floor. You're talking my language now, Kenneth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, to quick, to close out the game against Philly, any closing thoughts? Anything that stood out to you aside from the things that have already been discussed? Roger, you go first. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Kenneth, but. We have to let our we we have to let our guest go first. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Um, I I was going to uh, just tell you how impressed I I am with the uh, that young Turkish ball player you've got. I mean he he's Omer Yurtsevich. Yes, he is. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he has he has shown a lot of promise in. Bam's absence and Dwayne Detman's absence. I mean, that's we were essentially down to our third string center, which was him, and he has delivered at least on the on the rebounding department. Still on defense, there's some work to be done there. Although he held up pretty well against Joel Embiid in some occasions, but you know, Joel Embiid's an MVP candidate. He really did. I mean, I didn't expect him to be able to do that. Um, you know, and, and that might sound unfair of me. Uh, but I'm not watching. No, them. it's it's totally fair, Roger. You're good. It's totally fair because that's why I was going to. But continue. JJ knows how I feel. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> as far as I, I'm, I'm glad you guys went right there. Actually, yeah, I'm glad you guys went right there because that was going to be my closing thought on the Philly game. 
Um, and it's actually indicative of why I think Dwayne Dedman is the right guy for the backup center. And I've always believed that. And I've always told JJ that. Um, that Philly game, it started and we found a way to get an edge up 13 late in the third quarter before they were able to come back on us, by the way. We found a way to get an edge by playing through Omer Yurtsevin for most of the game. And mind you, that's probably his greatest defensive performance ever. And he didn't do anything spectacular as much as be a good barrier between Joel Embiid and the rim. Like there are times where you can beat up on him and he didn't allow Joel Embiid to do that. Um, and that is what I would say would be my biggest thing defensively from him because there were still times where he was just out of place or he was unable to manipulate defensively inside of the 76ers' offensive scheme, which put him in a position to get beat. But I will also say that's probably what got us beat because – and that's the kicker with your seven. And I've been having this conversation on and off Twitter all day today. You have to play through Yurt seven when he's in the game in order to maximize his size. If you're not going to play with him, you're not going to get the most out of him. So that's what happened to us against the 76ers. We played through him, which, of course, got him into a rhythm and got the team out to a good start. But the guys that we depended on to make shots at the end of the game that couldn't make shots, it prevented them from getting into a rhythm. And that's the overarching point of why right now Yurtsevin is a third-string guy because you can't maximize him without playing through him. And right now, for our team, it's better if we can play through Kyle, Jimmy, Bam, and Tyler. Well stated. Well stated. I think that psychological impact that it has on him is not all that different. can be similar to the one that you alluded to earlier, I believe, with regards to PJ and how 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 uh, he was perceived to perform with other teams until he came to Miami and was was acknowledged to be a much more fuller packaged player than what he had previously been with those other teams, and that psychologically can have a huge impact on somebody's blossoming, somebody's uh, overall self-confidence, of course. And and some people, uh, they feed off of that. And and Tucker's one of them. And uh, who's to say it wouldn't be the same for, for uh, your seven? I agree. I mean, you can look at a lot of guys when you're talking Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, even Duncan Robinson – the confidence that Spose instilled by continuing to go to them, and even specifically, which is what we're going to get to later, so not to step on our own toes, how Spoke keeps going back to Duncan Robinson. The only way he's going to find it is if he keeps going back to him, plain and simple. Now, it may not look good, or don't get me wrong, and I got my fingers crossed, it, there's a slight chance that it may never rise back to the level. But the only way we have a chance of it getting back there and or finding out is if you let him fire it. You, you know, the... the um the the problem i have the only problem i have with that is um if he's in this um slump if you will or you know uh, uh, a drought whatever way however way you want to frame it then then and i i have to go back to this eye-opening journey that i've unintentionally embarked on there there may be answers or there may be solutions by looking carefully at what he is doing throughout that routine of his and 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 not ignoring the way he's putting up shots during practices 
what is it that can be adjusted or remedied uh, biomechanically? Because in in more cases than not, I think at this level, I I think it's more physical. It's more biomechanically related than it is psychologically related. I mean, we're talking about the most supreme athletes in the world playing at, at, at the highest level that exists. And they've been through a great deal psychologically. And once that ball starts going through the hoop, the psyche is immediately impacted. But there may be some biomechanical issues that can be changed or modified or tweaked, as we like to say, that those guys who are there just aren't even aware exist yet, unfortunately. Uh, until the book comes out, they may not not they may remain in that in that uncertain area. They only Bowie, know what they Bowie, you, you can plug, plug in your you can plug in your book. <laughs> we, we have a saying here: no, no, no such, no such thing as a seamless plug. plug. So go ahead, plug plug your book. Plug, plug your book. I'm, I've only got about three or four, three and a half chapters finished, but I hope it's uh, done by the end of this, uh, by the end of, by the fall, actually. Uh, and it's not going to be a how-to book, but it's going to be at least a very thought. I hope a thought provocative book, gentlemen. Um, in that, the, the essence I hope is. It in if there were a almost entirely based engineered shooting technique or form that stems from kinesiology, uh, physics, uh, anatomy, the way the body is designed, the way it should move, um, and even geometry when it comes to shot making, if if you can take elements of that and combine that into or with the experience of a former player, pretty prolific score, shot shooter himself, and engineer a shot. Is it conceivable that that shot would be better, could be better, could be faster, could be more accurate, could be more consistent? Why not? Absolutely. No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that you have to account for, which comes with time, experience, or watching film, is the human factor. So if you can get every person that you're using that method, and, and just to kind of touch JJ up a little bit, we'll get to the other games at the back end. We've already dove into the shooting, so we'll just stay here if you don't mind, sir. Um, if you can... I don't mind absolutely, at all. I'm enjoying this if conversation. If you can remain or find a way to make a standard or a constant between each subject, then all of those other factors are always going to remain the same. So if you can find a sweet spot, for lack of better terms, where you can find some sort of constant or some sort of consistency between each subject, there's no, there's no reason why it shouldn't. That's pretty well stated. And, and, and that brings up the word universality, which is a even a hard that's word. the word i was looking for but not quite as elegantly stated as you roger continue and it's not one i like to throw out there because it's hard for me to even say it <laughs> oh it's a construct more than a pure word but it's totally a construct that means something and is real i get it god i'm gonna have to get myself a thesaurus <laughs> <laughs> it's all good man you got me <laughs> hey, um, no but that was good that was good now really. 
if we want to talk about Duncan, it's funny you mentioned biomechanics, though, because I'm going to tell you exactly what it is, and I, I'm going to put myself in Roger's shoes for a minute here. He's rushing everything. I don't know if somebody – I don't know if somebody reminded him that he had a quick trigger in the offseason and he went and did work to try to make it quicker, but whether it's off the palms, whether it's on the initial gooseneck, or whether it's coming from the legs – all of his shots are short-armed, too quick, or flat-out rushed. And that's what's happening. And you and you notice that not only because he's missing, but all of his shots are too strong, which goes back and circles around and brings in more universality, whatever Roger said. Um, <laughs> it's all about that split second or that ability to bring everything back into focus and make those quick reads or those quick measuring mechanisms in that second. He's not doing that because everything is long, because it's too quick, because he's not, you know, properly getting into his motion. He's short arming it off the gooseneck or it's not hitting the pad where he can get the proper flick. He's letting it grow. He's letting it go mid fingers or something, but it's just basically too quick. I want to add to that point. I don't know if, I mean, Roger, maybe you can you can speak more in depth to this, but I sometimes see that he doesn't have, like, of course, I'm not going to lecture Duncan on how to shoot because he's an NBA player. I'm not. But don't you see sometimes, like, his lift is not all the way there to get the shot up? I sometimes feel like the lift isn't there like, a, like maybe well, like it was in... 2018, 2019, I don't know. Not to cut you off, Roger, but something. you just said exactly what I said, JJ. That's the legs part oh, where well, he's going too quick, the lift. Yeah, well, I'm saying what Kenneth said, but in a more concise no, way. Right. I, I just wanted to let you know, I wasn't correcting you as much as saying, no, JJ, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, yes, Roger, That that's the question. Like, do you see something wrong with this lift or... What what uh, what you both said? I I without a doubt, with no doubt whatsoever, would agree with what you both said. the 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 real problem lies in that he and those around him, unfortunately, don't know anything else but what they're doing to try to rectify it. And what what I and this is why I'm. I'm I'm excited to get the book out there, even though it's not a how-to book. If if some of those people in basketball would be at least open-minded enough to say, hey, let's have a discussion, they might come to the conclusion that some of the areas that they're trying or that he himself may be trying to rectify may be the wrong areas to rectify or they're going about it the wrong way. And I'm saying that because we've had an incident in, in in Philadelphia, coincidentally, where one of the players whom I won't mention, they were the staff was working with him to speed up his release. Now I'm going to throw this in there. This is a Ben Simmons comment, isn't it, JJ? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't want to say it because, you know. We're putting Roger out there like that. I mean, this is what we do, Roger. I mean, he the man gets he gets 
slander basically every every day on social media so i don't want to i don't want to say anything and i'm not saying that roger is slandering him it's just no, that just, you know i don't want to say any names chops, he does and, and 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 one could argue rightfully so and one could probably argue maybe unrightfully so but actually i'll say this it wasn't him it was not i'm happy to be able to say that because I'm sure he's got a lot of stuff going on in his head. And he doesn't need another something that doesn't really exist. So I'd like to throw that out there. It wasn't him. But the the man who is speaking right now telling you this, he, I, he was I was known to have that textbook quick release. And you, it becomes a calling card. And it becomes a focal area, of course. A, a strong area of a focus by everyone. And what I've come to learn, not knowing this at all, all my basketball playing days, that area from the wrist to the fingers is the weakest, most unreliable, finicky area of the entire shooting system. Now, if that's huh. true, huh. then what kind of adjustments can one expect to achieve by still focusing on that area and how to rectify that area. Does that make some logical sense? It, it may, you might have to shift the responsibility to take, to take less responsibility off of that unreliable area and assign it to a mother, uh, another more stable area of the shooting system. And, JJ, you mentioned his lift. Well, that lower part of his body is much stronger, much more reliable, less whimsical than his wrist. So what can be done in the lower half of his body to help bring normalcy or stability back to Duncan? And that would be, you know, that's something that, most most people in basketball are oblivious to, unfortunately. And I don't like the way that sounds, but I don't know how else to put it. And I'm trying to wake them up to the fact no, that maybe, guess- maybe, maybe it could be done and it could be – a Duncan could benefit from something like that. But um, that's that buy-in has to be there. You make a good point, Roger. And as to the point with a lot of quote-unquote experts – yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I've tried, I've literally have tried to have conversations with shooting, and I don't like this term, shooting coach, uh, because some people refer to me as a shooting coach, and, and it's, it's just been watered down, and they take generally take years and years and thousands, hundreds of thousands of repetitions to affect somebody's shooting in a meaningful, measurable way. Uh, and I've come to learn trying to excuse me, trying to have a conversation with some of those very well-known shooting coaches that they aren't even interested in having a discussion. And by the way, they had most, if not all of them that I've spoken to or tried to speak to, haven't gone beyond what they've always done. They're very comfortable with it. In their mind, it works. And there, there's no interest in going beyond that. And isn't that kind of a ironic? Because as coaches, and I said shooting coach, 
as coaches, don't we expect players of any level to get uncomfortable so that they can grow and they can develop and they can become better and contribute more to the team? I'm sorry, I, I sound like I'm getting on a um, a soap. <laughs> no, no, you're good. And I want to add something to that, that players are willing to listen. That's And that's something you expect when you're coaching. So it's kind of ironic that a coach doesn't want to listen. Well, it happens oftentimes when we're on this show. But, um, yeah, Roger, you kind of did it again by segueing right into what I was about to say. The thing about experts in any field is oftentimes being so stuck in your quote-unquote expertise or in your ways leads to you becoming complacent. And the thing that you think has worked for you, you're so scared that making a change will lead to some semblance or outside perception of failure that you go what has been ha- you go with what has been halfway working as opposed to make a tweak and to get more out of that. Um, but I think that also, I mean, your point is right. As coaches, you expect that of your players, which is, you know, what makes this Heat team the Heat team. Your best guys, Jimmy Butler, Cal Lord, Bam Adebayo, they want to be coached hard. And what makes Spo Spo because he's constantly learning and adjusting always to bring it back to the Miami Heat. But, yeah, you make a great point. And I think that something that's happened in the last couple of days with the Miami Heat will allow Duncan to make those tweaks. Um, now, he was off a bit before Bam went down. However, it caused Duncan to have to take different looks, get shots off of different platforms, which didn't allow him to maintain that rhythm or, dare I say, get as set as he would like to be because when he comes off of those dribble handoffs he plants both feet he's clearly set and firm and he already has a slight bend in the knee to give him that proper lift from the lower body which is also something that you've noticed he hasn't been able to do in the process of getting his shots off too quick in my opinion so i feel as though that regularity that routine those small tweaks, those getting back to what you've always done at a high level better or more consistently or making those small adjustments will happen naturally now that he's taking those handoffs back from Bam. I'll be interested in following them now and watching that happen. And I hope it does. I really hope it does. This is an exciting- Oh, you, Roger, me. Oh, oh, man, I'm praying at the Shrine of Miami Heat right now that it happens. I love I love what Spo has done. I mean, I I just like I like his persona. I, uh, you know, what's not to like about that program that that culture, if you will. And now I'm speaking from an outside. As- and you you culture. said it though that program, and that's the biggest thing right there. It's it's special. I think it's one of the more special programs in the NBA. I really do. And uh, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of it. But by the way, uh, well. I, can I share a quick story with you about Kyle Lowry? Absolutely. Go ahead. We're all ears. I mean, I think the audience would love to hear it, so go ahead. Years ago in, in Philadelphia, Lonnie Lowry found out what I did, um, you know, who I was, and he would constantly, when he saw me down at McGonagall Hall at Temple where they used to play the summer league games, and Kyle, Kyle Lowry, uh, that was the first time I saw Kyle play. He hadn't gone to Villanova yet. And I'm watching this six-foot player very closely because I'm six feet. And he was much stronger than I. But I'm watching this player out-rebound 
everybody on the court, every game he played in. Now, Kyle, uh, Lonnie would come to, would come up to me occasionally, quite regularly, and say, hey, look, I want you to work with my brother, uh, Kyle. And I thought, oh, my God, I love his heart. I love what he, he brings. He leaves it all. I'd love to work with him. And, and, and I got the impression because he every time he saw me, he'd come up to me and ask me that. And I got the impression he thought I didn't want to. And my, my take was I didn't think Kyle wanted to. He didn't recognize the need to work on his shot. So long, long story short, um, he finally caught me in one time when Kyle was coming towards us. And I said, Lonnie, let me call him over here. I'd like to ask him one question. Now, you know, we, we've all been that age and, you know, we, we think differently, you know, blah, 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 blah. Kyle, come on. He, Kyle came over and I said, Lonnie introduces me. And I said to Kyle, Kyle, would you like to work on your shot to, to improve your shot? And he rolled his eyes and he folded his arms up in front of his chest. And at that moment, I said, Lonnie, I can't help him because he didn't answer the way somebody who was motivated to do just that would have answered. And I bring that story up because a few years ago when Kyle was struggling, there was a picture that hit the newspapers probably all over the country of Kyle going back into the gym when I, he was with the Raptors, of course, going back into the gym with his hoodie on at one o'clock in the morning still doing what we've all been taught to do, put reps up, get in the gym, put them up, just keep shooting. Wasn't that after a game against the Heat in the playoffs? It absolutely was. I was waiting. I was just giving you a couple of minutes before I brought that up. But no, exactly the situation. Um, and, and I laugh about it now, but it's it's what we – look, I, I was taught to work on my shot the exact same way. Get in the gym – well, I put up 300 shots already, Coach. Well, then put up 400. Put up, yeah, put up 100 more. Yeah, and, and there's such a mindlessness at work that works against us in truly becoming more developed as shot makers, not just shooters, shot makers. And we don't – that's one of the biggest challenges that I see at any level, and I mean as young as 12 or 13 years old now that these guys have been so brainwashed and girls so brainwashed into that reps, 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 that there's a mindlessness that prevents them from, and we're talking about Duncan here, for example, or Kyle or whomever else goes through a, a cold slump or a, a shooting slump of any sort. Do they literally forget how to shoot mechanically? Nope. No, what are they taking suddenly? Is Bo saying, "Okay, guys, I don't care what kind of threes you take." Of course not. They're all taking pretty good attempts, per the type they would typically take. All right, taking the same shots. Right. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on that soapbox again. I apologize, but oh no, you're good. You're good. Mindlessness is something that's got to be dealt with. And unfortunately, the digital age, with the way our attention spans have shrunk, it, it that's a huge challenge. That is a big challenge in development.
of basketball players or maybe any sports. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm sure it transcends any sport. I was about to say it transcends sports itself and even into life. And three things before we move on to actually wrapping up and talking about some of the games or, well, the Atlanta, well, the Toronto game, I apologize, and the games we got coming up here. Um, you have to be willing and receptive to actually learn. If you're not willing and receptive, no matter what the other person is tell you, telling you, no matter how good it is, no matter how much time they put in, you're not going to get better at it if you're not willing to receive that information or that teaching. Um, thirdly, as I mentioned, it transcends sports in itself because – if your job is to beat your head up against a wall, but it's to beat your head up against a wall in a way that won't give you a concussion, if you're beating up against a wall the way to give you a concussion, you're beating your head up against a wall, but you're not going to do it long because you're doing it the wrong way. So no matter how many times you do it, no matter how many reps you put in, if you're doing it the wrong way, then you're only building bad habits. Um, lastly, I mean, to the notions that you put out, Roger, it's just when you look at the guys, oftentimes failure, and I hate to use the word failure because failure is so concrete, but the lack of success all the time, to, 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 to phrase it better, is something that then seeps into anyone's mind, the player's mind, the person's mind, the guy pulling your coffee down at the Starbucks when he can't hit the seal of the cup. Um, I mean, it, it's something that seeps into every human being's mind and it causes you to make those unnecessary tweaks. Well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this. No, go back to what has always worked. Just do that better. That's why they say back to basics. Beautifully stated. Uh, and, and all three are great points. Um, and, and that's a reality what you've described is a, is a reality. Those are the dynamics at work. And uh, we've got to be, we've got to do what we can to, to try to move beyond that and, and use, use it to grow, to continue to grow. And listening, getting back to you listening, is a big part of all that. Uh, it, part of that development, learning. That, how do you learn most? By listening, by watching, um, by asking questions. You know, Michael Jordan came to that conclusion mm -hmm. three years into his NBA career, by the way. Just what you said, the one point you highlighted, JJ. If, if, uh, hey, if I'm, if I'm doing it the wrong way and I'm doing all these reps, then what am I really achieving? I'm getting better at doing the wrong stuff. And that is still not going to work. And that's, that's when he realized he needed to, to seek out somebody else to help him. That's not a weakness. I would say that turned out to be a good decision for him. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Might be the understatement of the year so far. Anyway, let's move on to the game that was played last night against the Toronto Raptors, in which the Miami Heat won 104-99. Uh, hell of a game. I did not watch it live. I did catch a watch it on the NBA app when I got home because I was working. But still, what a fun game. It was... I mean, what else can I say? The great performance from the Heat all around. Bam came back, and Precious Achua came back, but this time in a Raptors uniform. And, you know, we're, we'll dive into that a bit. Uh, Roger, what did you like about this game from both sides? Because I think both sides played a really good game. 
to admit to you, I was not able to watch it. And I, because of my schedule today, I, I didn't have much time to review anything on that game. I apologize. Oh, oh it's all good. Don't all worry. All good, man. As you can see, Roger, I, I can talk enough for the three of us. But we will ask you this before we go on. Yeah, I mean, Kenneth, Kenneth can probably... Kenneth can probably talk about paper. Absolutely. All day long, I mean, the blue lines, clear paper, sandpaper, construction paper, tissue paper, <laughs> aluminum foil paper, perforated paper. Anyway, um, Struess or Duncan? Who's the starter, Roger, and why? Um, boy, I, I I know that's a tough. I, I gotta go. I gotta go with Max. Interesting. Hey, if, for now, for now, why not? Has he not? Is he not shooting not? over forty? What is he over forty percent from the three right now? Um, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and and does it not give? I, look, if if I'm Duncan, and I'm seeing what's happening, and it's hard. Forty-one point. It's hard to cut you off, Roger, but he's shooting forty-one point four percent. Oh, so he's right shooting now. Duncan range. My bad. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Do I become complacent with where I'm at, what I'm doing, and how things are going, and? Or do I? Does it light a little bit of a fire under me? Does it serve as a? Mo- hey, I don't want this young guy. I don't want this to. You know, that, that's me. That's my spot. I, Absolutely. I'm supposed to be out there. I mean, that's just. I hope that's kind of a little bit of what happens. Um, and right, I, I, right. maybe that's part of Spo's uh, warfare, uh, psychological warfare. I don't know. But is he going to hurt the team? Does it look like right now the way he's performing, Max is hurting the team? Well, to be fair, no. to be fair, Duncan started um, against Toronto last night, and neither one of them had an extraordinary night. But no, Max Drews in the starting lineup hasn't hurt the team. Um, and in fact, when you're with when you were without some of your other big playmakers like a Jimmy Butler or Max Drews, or even if I mean not Max Drews, but Bam Adebayo, or even if Kyle Laurie is is missing time. You, you have immense value in having another guy in your starting unit like Max, who is a mid-range jumper away from being a complete three-level scorer. There. I will say that the answer to that question lies in which, which player fits better with Tyler Hero coming off the bench. Right, and Because as we know, Tyler Hero is the unquestioned top dog off the bench when it comes to scoring. But even before you said that, JJ, you know that's always been my thing. Duncan has always been the starter for me because Max is more multiple. And when you're talking about having Gabe, Caleb, and Max playing alongside guys like Tyler, what that allows you to do is ensure that Tyler will never see overloaded defenses or double teams for elongated periods of time. Because when you have other guys out there that are threats to score the ball from anywhere on the court, threats to dunk on the whole team. And if you don't get out there to keep them from doing that, we'll fire you up from 30 feet. Um, that just allows Tyler to be that much better because he's seeing a lot more single coverage. Whereas I don't think Duncan has that same effect as a reserve. Whereas he does tilt a whole side of the court, which he's going to do as a starter or as a reserve. I think that has more value as a starter when he's playing with three other guys who can get it done themselves after he tilts the court, as opposed to playing with those reserves, which also plays into them being able to take more pressure off Tyler. That's why Max is the second by the way, guy for me. By the way, Kenneth, and you know, this question is also addressed to Roger. You can feel free to answer it, Roger. At what point do, do teams 
do you think there will ever come a time where teams realize like wait a second duncan is not shooting it's no. not duncan robinson of the past two no. years do some teams just i didn't mean to cut you off but the, i answered like, it early because that's the game that he's gonna hit 10 of them. no no but hey wait give give me a second at what point like do teams start using less resources to guard duncan or do you think that never changes now i think can i already know kenneth's answer What do you think, Roger? Well, I, I think some of it would hinge on what, what the – because a lot of coaches, of course, as you're aware, uh, are putting a great deal of value in these analytics. And if some of the simpler analytics suggest that player X is uh, shooting 38% from the field and 40% or 39 – let's make it real tight – 39%, uh, 35%. From the three. Wait, 38. That's what Duncan's shooting right I now. Was, I'm glad you said that, right? Because I was still about to say that. And and not to cut you off because I want you to finish. But when you're talking about Tyler and Duncan, we only think that they're quote unquote bad because we're comparing them to themselves. Go ahead. <laughs> so when you look at the math of that and the analytics, the 38 from twos or the 35 from three, um, Less likely to take ill-advised threes than twos. Less effort, less uh, demand on the body. Uh, less likely to be injured way out there. Um, I'm going with that 35% three-ball shooter. Uh, maybe a 32% three-ball. Maybe I mean, the math dictates those numbers in some ways. But... Let's stop. Look, we all know how much emphasis fans are aware of it because they're paying some high prices to go see players and sometimes be disappointed because, oh, they're they're load managing him and he's not expected to play, blah, 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 right? So what, what, what about injury preventiveness? What about, hey, think guys, think about this. Step, and I'll use Steph Curry because he's one of my biggest billboards out there in, in what I discovered about 10 years ago before he really came on the scene exposing how effortless a three-point attempt from 30 feet out is. And, oh, by the way, how much he's reduced the wear and tear on his body because when he comes, like, like Damian, there are others beginning to do this, of course. Uh, when they come across midcourt, what Damian has said to his big man, set a pick, set a screen for me. As soon as I get across midcourt, set a screen. <laughs> Wait, what, what is he asking the big man to set him up for? A 40-foot shot. Now, wait, get back on D. Uh, three strides, I'm back. <laughs> okay, now, yeah. I'm calling you from Philadelphia, right? I remember another player who left it all out on the court was diminutive in size, a little shorter than I, uh, about 160 pounds, five feet ten. Yeah, but right. Did he like to practice? Did he did he have a famous step over over practice? <laughs> but he would get the ball if he could. He'd probably inbound it to himself and then dribble it up a thousand and only pass it to himself. Now. Look at the wear and tear on that guy's game, the way he played it. How oh, Bubba Chuck took a beating. Right? And then go back 90 feet to get back on D compared to a guy coming over the, the midcourt line, looking up, showing threat, 
or or shooting it and and it completing in a three point shot. And uh, Steph Curry is playing a third of the games everybody else is playing. Absolutely. And that's still with all of the miles that he's running around to get open. But that also leads to the fact that you got guys playing five to let's look at LeBron ten more years in their primes now than ever. Yeah. That longevity is impacted by being able to shoot from the deep. I mean, it, it, it you know, it's a, look, we just watched a very elderly um, quarterback destroy the Philadelphia Eagles in a game over the weekend. Absolutely, and all based on the rules to protect the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that those are things that, that you're, you're going to take into consideration. And, um, uh, and by the way, what you know, how's he as a passer? I mean, those are things that kind of touch on a little bit of what Kenneth was alluding to. There are so many other elements. Who's a better passer? Who who and LeBron? You, LeBron's a great example because I remember reading an article that when LeBron was in the game, there were a few other players that shot better. Why'd they shoot better? Because of the delivery of the pass. Booyah. Everything else is so important. I remember reading a report when he was in his second stint in Cleveland that he oftentimes asked players, where do they, where do they like to receive the pass? That's great, man. That that's my teammate. That that that's the kind of teammate. How can you not like that guy? But to your point, Roger, you have to have a person that even cares or wants to know that information. Critically important, very. And also has the, also has the insane ability that he has to remember. This guy likes to receive it more in the chest. It's like this guy likes to receive it up high and okay. execute those Remember. in those tight moments because you know all not not yeah. always a clean or easy pass. I mean, but being six eight two fifty don't hurt. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, we're we're LeBron fans over here. Even though he he's a Heat legend, so he's a Heat legend. We're so all LeBron we're all here, LeBron so. fans here. So yeah, and, and um, uh, passing is a big part of shot making. I, I've come to learn that um, again. I did look. I I was a pretty demanding receiver because I was a scorer, but not to the degree I've become. And, and as a trainer, um, how and where I want I want to I want to show you my teammate. I want to remove all doubt where you ought to place that ball when you're throwing it in my direction, and and I'm doing that because. I probably know the shot that I'm going to take if you deliver it there already before I take it because of where the defense already is or the move or the position of my body, the angle, whatever it is. So I'm already predisposed to making my shot before I even receive the pass if the pass is placed in the right spot at the right time. And that's part of shot making. And, and to your point, Kenneth, earlier about uh, about um, Duncan, uh, and, and your point with the lower the lift part, all of that is impacted by, to some degree, by that pass. Where did it come from? What angle was it? Absolutely. Did he have to Absolutely. reach for it? Mm -hmm. uh, did he meet the ball too early? The path the path is half of executing in rhythm. Yeah. So, you you guys. Uh, 
you're, you're highlighting some really great stuff here. I hope the audience is enjoying some of this. I mean that. I mean, the, oh. this is oh. stuff that a lot of people don't, I don't think are often exposed to, but these little intricacies, uh, when and, and they're they're a lot like the variabilities I talk about in shot making. When you take that variability, that little one, uh, that little one might be connected to three other ones. All of a sudden, man, can you make a big impact with a couple tweaks, as we like to call them, because they have that much effect on the outcome. Absolutely. Roger, those are excellent points. Kenneth, why don't you give us a quick breakdown of the Raptors game before we do a bit of a preview here to close out the show on the upcoming opponents for the Miami Heat? Um, I mean, just to, you know, like you said, we, we were able to get a tough one. Um, it really came down to who could make the final play, which you have to, you know, congratulate P.J. Tucker and Bam Adebayo. P.J. Tucker hit a huge three at the end of the game to give the Heat a boost. Um, and you thought that was the one that closed the door. However, Fred Van Vliet came down and made a phenomenally crazy 40-footer to, you know, keep them in the game at the end there. By the way, by the way Kenneth, 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 I want, I want, to, I want to say ahead. something. I'm, so, I'm sorry to cut you off, but that P.J. shot came off a Jimmy Butler drive. Oh, yeah, you knew it was going down. 100%. And, that, and that's, why, that's why Jimmy Butler is it's so, so important for the team. He drove the basketball, and he, like, the seam is so, even with all the missed time that, that, that's been, you know, plaguing all the, the players, Jimmy knew exactly when to let that ball go. He just waited for, I believe it was Chris Boucher. Yep. He was standing in the corner, guarding P.J. Tucker. And, you know, the threat of Jimmy Butler driving to the basket, I think Roger would agree, you, the... I think it's human instinct to collapse the paint when a guy like Jimmy Butler is driving to the to the basket in a close game. Well, that's yeah, that's human instinct anyway. But to Roger's point, where he's so athletic, what Jimmy Butler doesn't get credit for is how well he thinks the game of basketball. Jimmy Butler is almost so, a basketball savant. Like he's two plays ahead of you on both sides of the ball, which is why he's always able to get you three or four steals. Which is why he's always. You might say Jimmy needs to hit the shot or his shot making isn't there, but you rarely say Jimmy made a bad decision. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Oh, yeah. and, and I got a chance to see it while he was here in Philadelphia. And I got to tell you, I was none too pleased when he left Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, I think a lot you of people are You and Joel Embiid, Roger. You and Joel Embiid. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, but, but I mean, I'm glad we have him here. Oh, absolutely. I'm not Love complaining. Jimmy, man. Love Jimmy Butler. I would, I mean, if, if you wanted to, I mean, outside of Dwayne Wade, and that's because he's the greatest player in franchise history, outside of Alonzo Mourning, um, you know, you can even look at a couple of more guys. I would say if you wanted to look for a modern day personification, a modern day embodiment, the modern day epitome, in this pace and space league of what Miami Heat culture is, just plaster a picture of Jimmy Butler all over the place and then put a little small picture in the right corner of Cal Laurie with his arms crossed, rolling his eyes, saying, no, Roger, I don't want your help. <laughs> I mean, but, okay, to, like Kenneth likes to say, to tie a ball around the story that Roger said about Kyle Laurie, isn't, 
it's amazing the growth he's shown. That's you know. his growth. That's his growth. As a player, well, because and as a person, they because... said that about him early in Houston too, though JJ. That that's why they said it took him a while to become the Kyle Laurie that we knew and begin to love in Toronto because he had that mentality where you hate to say he was uncoachable, but you know what I mean? You, know what I'm you might call him, I don't know. Let's call like, it what it is. He was uncoachable like, for a long just... time. And once he got to Toronto, he figured <laughs> it out. I mean, in the story that Roger told us, it's proof positive. And it's not like he hasn't – his shot was a question until he got to Toronto. So to hear Roger say that, it isn't a big shocker because he didn't come into the league with a good jump shot. He's always been a questionable shooter before Toronto. So to hear him turn his nose up at help or wanting to get better, and this isn't knocking Kyle. This is just based on a story that one party has told us. But to hear about an instance where he turned his nose up on that, it, it, pre- it, it lends itself to that notion of being uncoachable to a point. And I'm so glad that he got over that because, like I said, he's always been made of the right stuff from a heart perspective, from a want-to perspective. He just had to get his mind right. Yeah, he, but that warrior mentality, he had it. He had it. That heart, he had it. Absolutely. And he's still a dog, even at, you know, 34, 35, 36. Still the biggest dog on the court. Like, nobody wants it more than Kyle Lowry. Now, that's one of the problems because he'll let the ref know all night, hey, that was a bad call, but, you know, you, you, live, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. By the way... Tying that to the ref comment, our upcoming opponent, the Trailblazers, which, you know, famously that was the game that Kyle Lowry got thrown out of because because of constant complaining to the refs. We face him again in Miami. That's right. When is so, that? That game's coming up soon, isn't it? Yeah, it's tomorrow, Wednesday, January nineteenth. Yes. At the time of this recording. Nurk v Hero Two. I'm sorry. Huh. Huh. No, I said Nurk versus I Tyler did not get Hero 2. Oh. Well, I don't want Tyler here to get hurt. I know, man. I'm that's just saying. You know, that's, just, that's just the movie poster <laughs> we're putting out, you know? Like, you got to find a big Russian to put beside Rocky or it's not a movie. You know what I mean? And I know, I so know Roger, Nurk very quickly. Russian, but you get it. You guys get the joke. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Roger, very quickly, Damian Lur is going to be out for... A while within they're calling an abdominal injury so that leaves the blazers without their top scorer one of the top players in the league when when right although i don't know if it's a bit of an age thing or just the rules and all, although the rules thing i haven't heard a lot of talk about that ever since you know we've we've gone deeper into the season but still that's a huge that's a lot of buckets that you need to replace and a guy, Before we get off on the wrong foot, like, JJ, he said that that's a cumulative thing. He yeah. said that the abdomen is something he's been dealing with over the last couple of years. So I just didn't want us to be unfair and say it's an age thing or that he's been beat up a little more, so it's new. He said that's a cumulative thing, so he had to take his word for it there. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, what I meant on the age thing was his production. That's gotcha. what I meant. Okay, he's I down. didn't know if you meant like he's how down the to... injury happened, but I got you. Sorry for the confusion. No, 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 no. It's just that... His production this season was down quite a bit from his past, I want to say, three seasons, four. He's down to 20, he was down to 24 points, 32% from deep, and 
yeah, it was it was not a good. He was not playing. We were. He was not playing to the level that we were accustomed to. He was shooting forty percent from the field, which is, I think, the worst mark of his career, counting his rookie season. So, I mean, he really struck the first fourteen games or so. He was in the teens. Um, Absolutely. I mean, he was struggling. He really was. To your point. Yeah, and it yeah. really highlights so, how it just really highlights how much of a load he's taken on across his Portland career because he's year in and year out dragged that team to relevance. Um, so the one year where and he's entitled to an off year because he's been as good as he has for that franchise that hasn't returned the favors for so long. Um, the one year where he doesn't has it to the level of just being, you know, a supernova because still on most teams you take those numbers he was putting up. But to the point of not being a supernova, the one year he doesn't has it have it, you know, that team looks like a rebuilding situation. And and that just says a lot right there. Yeah, and I think Portland has some roster issues to address right now and in especially in the offseason because they have to ask some questions about this current roster. What's their ceiling ceiling right now with a 32-year-old Damian Lillard being their best player and CJ McCollum being his running mate? That's something that has plagued them. Uh, Roger, you have something quick to, to, to add about the Blazers or just the game in general, the Blazers' well, heat game? Well, unfortunately, they were, also, the they were also hampered by the um... – CJ, CJ had gone out too and missed uh, some games and just re- absolutely. Uh, I think he's playing under restricted, kind of a restricted number of minutes uh, protocol, uh, as you would probably expect just coming back. But he, I think he scored about six, fifteen or sixteen points the other on his uh, on his first game back after that that hiatus. Um, so that that's going to help. I mean, for both of them to be out, oh my God, not 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 a good time out there in Portland, with both of them out. So, I uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you still uh, gave him twenty eight minutes against Orlando the other night. As you mentioned, sixteen points, one rebound, one rebound two dimes, two, two or four from three, seven or thirteen from um, the field. Um, yeah, so he may not be quite on a full level of minutes, but twenty eight minutes of CJ McCollum is enough to beat you if he's on. I don't like it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that game. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to sound cocky or anything, but I think that's a game that he should. It is, but it's also a classic trap game. Because, because it is the game, you should easily handle it. I yeah. think you're both right. Yeah. No, you're both right. That should be a game you you take. But hmm, will it be? <laughs> will it? And be? our Friday. And our Friday. We go back to we go back to Atlanta. To face the disappointment. You mentioned lemon pepper Trey Young. I'm sorry, I had to. Lemon pepper Trey Young. But yeah. But yeah. The Hawks, the Hawks, another disappointing, another disappointing team, team in this season. In this season. 18 and 25 record. Trey Young has come on. He hasn't. He hasn't. Like he struggled a bit like to start, but he, to start, but he on, has been on. But the team has not been on. And, and they just recently traded, just Cam recently Reddish traded Cam Reddish to the New York Knicks. And they, John Collins has been, John Collins has been making some comments to the press that have been a bit interesting, to say the least. So it's so strikes me as a team in disarray. And the heat. And the heat. I was just going to chime in that um, now the Hawks and and Atlanta, unlike Miami, Trey can really hurt you when when he's such a he's a volume shooter, 
he's look, he's a great scorer, but not a great shooter. And when you're missing threes, that it's funny. I I, I was going to say kiddingly, but I, I'm not really kidding when I'm telling the guys I'm training. Uh, when you miss a three, you should treat that as the shooter who missed it, as if you just caused a two a two turnover event, two turnovers. Why? Because it's worth three points. Well, how do you get three points? There's no other basket that will give you three points. How do you make that up on one possession? Hmm. Absolutely. Interesting. Automatically a swing. You yeah. don't put a number on it, but I get your concept, Roger. When you miss a three-pointer, regardless of whether the other team converts or not, that's a swing because you've cost yourself an opportunity to score two possessions. And, and I love that. I, I mean, the guy, look, we're talking about a guy that looks like a high school <laughs> A high school player who is a junior varsity player. Oh, you mean you mean Kyle Guy? No, I was about to say Kyle oh, Guy. No, you... Kyle Trey Young makes Kyle Guy look big. Oh my God! Yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. But uh, but he puts up so many threes sometimes that that can harm a team. When you if you're not, he's in the low thirties, I think, from the three. Uh, and I don't mean 31 or 30, but uh, not maybe right below mid 30, somewhere around there. Right. Not Trey Young territory. The epitome of can shoot you in the game and can shoot you out of one. Exactly. Yeah. And and now you got to work really hard to make up that that three that you missed. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. That so brings, where are the that brings hour where the hour twenty two mark here. Really this has been a really long really podcast, but a really fun one. I hope you guys have stuck around. Until the end. So, to so, wrap it up. To wrap Kenneth, it up. 2-0. Kenneth, 2-0. Absolutely. Well, 3-0 if you want to include the Lakers, but do we want to do that? Well, yeah, we'll be covering that on a later podcast in the week after the the Hawks game, but still. Okay, so in the I remaining mean, two games, Wednesday and Friday before we come back, yeah, we go 2-0. We own the Hawks, and the Blazers just don't have enough talent, and I don't believe – especially after Giannis Antetokounmpo came out of his mouth and called us bubble frauds and other words that you'll see an unfocused Heat team. So I think they handle business versus the Trailblazers tomorrow, which is Wednesday as we're recording here on Tuesday. Um, and Friday we handle business against the Hawks again, beat them twice last week in a home-to-home series. So there's no reason we shouldn't be able to do the same thing again this week. I happen to concur with you, by the way, for whatever that's worth as an outsider. I really, I, I, yeah, those are two games that, that are yours. Appreciate your opinion there, Roger. Absolutely. And thank you for absolutely mean something. I mean, you have great insight. So you know, if you say it, it has a little weight. We do appreciate it. Yeah. So, before we wrap up, Roger, where can the people find you? Well, they my email address is rogergalo one two three at gmail dot com. My website is rogergalo dot com. That's r o g r g a l o dot com and they can follow me at uh, the galo method g-a-l-o method um and in case that's too complicated guys that's just his name one two three 
That's just his name. Dot com. That's just his name. Method. <laughs> I love that. Hey, I, Roger, I could use thank- some help writing this book, Kenneth. Uh, <laughs> uh, again, again, man, I'm a words guy. I could talk to a seashell about sand and the noises that are going on inside of it for like two days straight. So, I mean, get, just have your people contact my people. Right? No, I'm joking. Hey, seriously, though, man, if you ever need an excerpt or a foreword or you just want somebody to help you eat up 10 pages, man, hop in my inbox. Um, I love that have a conversation love to that i'll keep that in mind thank you guys i've enjoyed this this is a lot of fun i can't believe this much time elapsed already holy cow yeah (laughs) that's that's what happens when you're doing something that you enjoy so roger thank you so much for yeah thank you so much for joining us tonight roger we had a fantastic time with you we'll definitely have you on at some point in the future absolutely in the meantime we won't take as long about doing it this time i promise (laughs) <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 305 Culture Pod. And where can they find you, JJ? They can find me on Twitter at JJ Rivera NBA. That's at JJRIV as in Victor E R A N B A. And on Instagram, you can find me at JRO Rivera 98. That's J A I R O R I V as in Victor once again, E R A 98. And where can they find you on Twitter? Friend? They can find me at K said K. That's K underscore S A I D underscore Q U E. Again, K said K. On Twitter and on Instagram, you can follow me at I am K Serious. That's I A M K C I R R U S. Again, I am K Serious on Instagram. And one last time for the one time for our guests, what are your social media handles? One more time, Roger. It's uh, Roger Galo123 at gmail.com, my email address, of course, uh, at Galo Method and RogerGalo.com. You heard it, folks. Go follow him. This man has given us some great insight into the, the game of basketball. JJ, as a check whole. him out, y'all. Yeah, check him out, y'all. So thank you for listening. See you later in the week. Bye-bye. <laughs>